Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. We begin today's meditation with a few sipping exercises to remind us a little treat can go a long way. So pick up your McCafe iced coffees, close your eyes, and deep sip in. And deep satisfaction out. <sighs> Take a treat retreat at McDonald's. Right now, get a McCafe iced coffee in any size and any flavor for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price of participation may vary. Wrap up the year with holiday cheer at the all-new Bush Gardens Christmas Celebration. Experience a winter wonderland as you walk through eight festive villages with twinkling lights, holiday decor, and entertainment. Bush Gardens Christmas Celebration is a limited capacity event. Select dates through January 3rd. Take advantage of the biggest sale of the year going on now through November 27th. Buy one two-park membership, get one half off during the Black Friday sale. Make your reservation today. Restrictions apply. Welcome back to Movie Talk. We are going to discuss the new Hello Kitty movie that was just announced. And then in a complete contrast, there's this image from the Midsummer trailer. And we are going to have ourselves a little April movie battle. I will explain how that's going down as we get into it today. But first and foremost, I must introduce my panel. We have Marquia and Jeff. Hi. Great to see you here. Hi, Jeff. <laughs> I think the first thing that we need to cover here is what exactly are you guys drinking? I'm aware of those. I've got yeah, my yeah. buy Costa Rica Clementine. Love this stuff. Yeah, um, it is sinus weather right now in L.A., so this is like a ginger, cayenne, lemon like concoction that's supposed to help all of this. Shockingly, I am drinking water. I am no fun. But we have a fun lineup today. Actually, that's not entirely true. We have a little bit of a light lineup, but on the bright side, that means we're going to have so much time for your live Twitter questions today. We're going to pick some fun ones, some different ones. Send them in right now using the hashtag Collider Movie Talk. All right, first story on our lineup, though, is a casting story, and we have gotten a report that Will Smith is now attached to play Richard Williams, the father of tennis greats Venus and Serena Williams, in the movie called King Richard. This is a script that was on the blacklist. At this point in time, there's no director attached, but they do expect Will Smith to have a big say in whoever they hire for the job. So, Marquia, let's start with you on this one. First, how exactly are you feeling about the story, given the fact that we are getting this story from Richard's perspective and not necessarily the tennis stars. Yeah, it, it is a, a little bit peculiar uh, when you think about it that way because you have uh, Venus and Serena Williams who are these epic athletes and you're not getting it from their POV and that's that's interesting but with um, Richard Williams' story I mean he didn't have any tennis background at all um, at the age of four he, d he laid out a plan for Venus and Serena where it's like okay this is what's going to happen this is the goal plan, you know, would he overcame a lot of obstacles to help them achieve, you know, this epic success that they have now. So, yes, there is definitely a story there, but there's also a conversation to be had of why in the world are we not just hearing it from them and having him be part of their story? 
Does that make sense? No, it definitely does, especially as someone who grew up watching Venus and Serena quite a bit, and I'm a big mm-hmm. fan of theirs. I don't think I necessarily know enough about his story to say, oh, like, it's not worthy mm-hmm. uh, to tell it from his perspective. But, Jeff, I actually think you wrote the dot-com article for this, right? I did, yeah. You said something that really intrigued me in, in that, and it's it's just a concept that fascinates me. It's the idea of a parent being so heavily involved in coaching their kids to be professional athletes. I think whether you're talking about stage moms or soccer moms, as you put it in the article, that's the angle that I'm into. I like I understand some of the uproar this morning about you know the, the colorism claims. I, you know I'm not the person to address that kind of stuff. But the the stuff that I saw today about how the you know and Roka was one of these people saying the movie should be about Venus and Serena and not told through the perspective of their father. I don't understand that because I'm a fan of these biopics that sort of tell someone's story through through the eyes of someone close to them. Um, I grew up playing youth sports. I saw it you know whether it's soccer moms or basketball dads. Uh, I, I, you know, there's a lot of parents like this out there um, who who just they try to almost like live their dreams, their athletic dreams through their children uh, and, and they train them for fame from a very young age. In fact, one of the short stories I applied to NYU with was called Train for Fame. Like it was about a dad like this. And I think Earl Woods is kind of the biggest example of it. I don't know how hard uh, Richard Williams was on Venus and Serena. I can't imagine that, that he was easy on them. Like he pushed them to greatness and it takes a certain kind of personality, I think, to to succeed, uh, you know, doing that kind of coaching. Um, I, I, I kind of love it. And I, and I understand why Will Smith is cast because they need a, a, a large African-American star here. There's no, no one bigger than, than Will Smith outside of maybe Denzel. Um, yeah, I think it's a great role for him. I was saying last uh, on last week's show, too, that Will Smith needs to get back to these kind of prestige dramas, remind people what a good actor he is. This seems like a great role to me on paper, all that other stuff aside. Narrowing it down to our conversation in terms of what Will Smith should do next, yes, a movie like this sounds like a good idea, but I don't know. Marky, I saw you react to that. Do you think that he is pretty much the only person who could have played a role like this just from a star power perspective? Oh, well, I wasn't necessarily reacting to that with um, like Will Smith I I feel like he's more than proved himself to be able to like fit into different roles so that wasn't what it was it was um, when you brought up um, Earl Woods and mm-hmm. it's like yeah that that is an interesting story to tell but when you you get the Tiger Woods story first you know and then Earl is like a part of it and you know you don't lead with the Earl Woods story you lead with Tiger Woods so it's like and also there's a conversation to be had of of is this big enough for big screen or is this more of a, you know, limited release type of a thing? So, you know, there's that. I'm not disputing the fact that Will Smith wouldn't be really great in this role. I mean, I really enjoy Will Smith, but um, I know that other people have brought up um, other names that they would also like to be considered for the role. Like um, I think Daniel Haysbert came up and of course, uh, Mahershala <laughs> has come up for just about anything. That poor man Understandably is going to be, so. he, he's going to be working so hard for so long. Long. As he should. Um, but yeah, no, I, I love for Will Smith. I mean, I, I wonder how many people out there have, you know, seen Ali. <laughs> and if they're just judging him from where he is now, with he's able to basically choose whatever he wants to act in, whatever sparks his interest. So it's like, yeah, no, he's a hard-hitting dramatic actor. I can't wait for uh, Bad Boys 3 to come out. What? You know, because that's uh, drama meets comedy. So absolutely. Um, But yeah, I was more reacting to, yeah, I mean, it's 
like I said, there's a conversation to be had for the parents behind uh, the stars that we see, but I'd rather see the stars that we see first and see the parents included into that. Okay. For that first movie. I understand that perspective. I kind of yeah. like all angles of the story, though. So I think uh, so far, so good. Plus, it's encouraging that this script was something that earned a spot on the blacklist, too. Even though, you know, I mean, to be fair, we have seen blacklist, blacklist scripts spiral out of control on their way to actually hitting theaters. But so far, I think so good. A big part of this is going to be who they get to direct this exactly, film. And, yeah. and, and again, the question that I asked in the article and that I was asking in October, when this project sort of first landed on my radar um, is will the Williams sisters themselves be involved? You know, I was very surprised to see that they weren't part of yesterday's announcement as executive producers or something like that. I think this kind of movie could use their support. Uh, and, And let's keep in mind... This movie doesn't have distribution. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have a studio behind it. So right now it is being put together independently. Uh, you don't see Will Smith doing a lot of indies. Could this land at a Netflix or Amazon, a streamer? I, I think you're totally right to question whether this is a wide release or limited release uh, kind of movie. Um, I do see it as more of like a streaming type of play. I think it would kind of be perfect over at Amazon, but it all sort of depends on, you know, a bunch of different factors. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you, Jeff. I would definitely watch this on Netflix or on uh, Amazon Prime. Like, that would be something that I would do. I think it depends. I'm not ready to say anything like that yet until I know who... I guess who directs it so I can start to, you know... I, I guess uh, create some sort of like like visual or scale scope type of thing to this whole project. But mm. we're going to have to see how this one pans out as we move on to our next story. And this is, this is a pretty big deal if you're a Hello Kitty fan. So it was just announced that there is going to be a Hello Kitty movie because Sanrio, the Japanese company behind the iconic cat, has finally granted film rights to New Line Cinema and Flynn Picture Company to develop the character's very first English-language feature film. The partnership marks the only time that Sanrio has granted film rights to Hello Kitty and its other popular uh, characters to a major film studio. And we currently don't know if this movie is being developed as an animated movie or a live action feature, which changes a lot for me one way or the other. But uh, apparently the search for writers is on right now. Uh, yeah. All right. Wait, I want to go to you first. <laughs> Jeff, oh, God. Are, are you like a secret Hello Kitty fan? Does this pique your interest at all? Nope. Not even a little bit. Not even one percent. This is a movie that I will do my best to uh, avoid at all costs. You're not even going to try? No, I'm not even going to hunt down the casting for this movie. Okay. I just don't care. Life is too short for me to spend it, any part of it, chasing who's going to star in or do voices for the Hello Kitty You'll movie. hunt down the cast of Dora the Explorer, and yes. you won't hunt down the cast of Hello Kitty. Yeah, that's right. I, I draw the line at Hello Kitty. That is where the line is. What, Jeff? Hello Kitty means friendship and togetherness and tolerance. Hello Kitty is beautiful and has so many Hello Kitty friends that you might might respond with you might respond with Retsuko or uh, Gudetama. It's like this disgruntled <laughs> egg yolk, Jeff. You might Spotty Dotty. It's a <laughs> Dalmatian. Spotty Dotty does sound fun. But, you know, I, My I can, melody I can get down is with her, but... rabbit with uh, leg warmers, like ear warmers. Yeah, I, I don't really know what direction New Line is planning to take uh, Hello Kitty. I think they should incorporate Hello Kitty into the Final Destination franchise. Oh, that's what I think. Wow. 
It could be Hello Kitty stalking the, the teenagers. I feel like you're trying to get me on your side with a comment like that, and it's not working. So wait, which which would interest you less? A Hello Kitty animated movie or a Hello Kitty live action movie? Probably live action. Like that, that, yeah, that, that just has no reason for existing. Is there any, I mean, I'm not super familiar with like Hello Kitty lore or whatever, whatever um, fans do call it. Is there, is there <laughs> any? Are, are there names for the Hello Kitty fans? I don't know. Oh, I don't I'm know. Not, to be honest. I'm not sure. Oh. Um, do, does it make any sense for Hello Kitty to have the Detective Pikachu style? <laughs> Like where Hello Kitty has a human buddy, or am I just making stuff up that makes no well, sense? Well, I, I think the really big thing is going to be whether or not Hello Kitty speaks. That's going to be the thing because um, I believe, like way back when, they tried to do like a Japanese cartoon pilot where they did have Hello Kitty speaking, and it just didn't go anywhere, mm-hmm. like at all. Um, but yeah, that's <laughs> that's the major thing. I think why so many people can imprint themselves on Hello Kitty is that. Um, you know, she literally doesn't say anything. Uh, she's just this beautiful, like, part of the world that can exist in so many different ways and as many different versions of herself. I mean, I've seen a Hello Kitty version of Deadpool, for crying out loud. <laughs> no, that's a good point. Um, yeah. Do you guys think that this brand globally is big enough that this could be maybe something we're brushing off right now because we're mm. not big fans of the property? Or I'm not, I'm not sure if you are, Marquia, sorry, but... Is this a situation where we could be talking about, you know, like what's happening with Detective Pikachu yeah, where no, the Pokemon de- brand de- is so, so big? Depending on, on how much they paid for these rights and how big the budget of this film is, it could prove to be a very smart business decision for New Line, getting, them, getting their hands on, mm-hmm. on these rights. Uh, I could see a lot of kids flocking to theaters, and it's hard to come up with original animated properties or children's properties. Look, Pixar's starting to struggle, I think. They're, they're kind of like repeating themselves and just doing these sequels. Um, so so I, I think that in general, uh, the, the people making movies for children are, are sort of trying to recalibrate and figure out what is going to excite kids. I these find days. it interesting that you view making sequels as struggling. <laughs> I guess for for a studio like creatively, absolutely. For a studio like, I mean. I'm not ready to say that until, let's say, I see Toy Story 4, and it's a rinse, wash, repeat, and they basically just, you know, tarnish their perfect trilogy with something that's basically just stretching out a franchise. Oh, do you mean like Alien? <laughs> I don't know. I, I think it's pretty half and clear half. that, there, that uh, we, I haven't seen like a lightning bolt of inspiration out of Pixar in, in several years. Um, Maybe since Inside Out. Inside Out and uh, Coco? Yeah, Coco no. was Coco didn't amazing. Work for you? I thought okay. I thought Coco was beautiful. Um, but you know, jumping off of uh, Jeff's enthusiastic endorsement for a lot uh, for a full animated <laughs> of Hello Kitty, uh, if they took it in the realm like uh, maybe you know the Lego Movie, which was a huge hit, you know, um, they would have all the characters that people know. I mean, this seems like it might be respond. Uh, a smaller audience, and by smaller, I mean like this is a billion dollar, like global, mm-hmm. like recognized brand. Like that audience would very much enjoy it. I might see it because, like, um, my extent of Hello Kitty is that I see it in stores, I think it's cute, I buy it. So that's that's me with Hello Kitty. That's how I know the different characters. Okay, okay. So it's like <laughs> if they had something along those lines, it's just I wonder if that should be one movie or it should be more like um, Agratsuko, where it's like it's little, you know, it's TV episodes, 
kind of a thing. Well, if, like they, I, if they finally you know. get the rights to something like this, I imagine they're thinking, oh, this is going to be one of many. <laughs> and uh, Jeff, you're going to have a lot of Hello Kitty in your life in the future. So you better brace yourself now. Yeah, I wonder I wonder if Twitter is going to give you a whole egg. lot of what, Hello what's Kitty. What's egg called again? <laughs> uh, Iskudatama. That's the only one where I've been like, you know, perusing the shelves in a store and I'll see that and I'll think that's like an adorable rendering. I like yeah, that. Yeah, this disgruntled little egg yolk. I'm telling you, Jeff, you got it. You got it. <laughs> Check, you got to check it out. When do I get to say goodbye to this Hello Kitty item? When, when do we move on to the next thing? You look thing? adorable in that frame. Go back to that. Look at the pink with the little Hello Kitty. Oh, oh Jeff's God. so happy Thank now. You. All right. I'll let you off the hook now. We are going to do like a complete shift with this yes, story. Yes, thank God. <laughs> this next trailer is for the director of Hereditary, Ari Aster. He made another movie, and it is called Midsummer. Comes out August 3rd, and... Oh boy, this trailer, um, this is something else. We don't necessarily get a ton of story details from this trailer, but Mm -hmm. I think this one excels when it comes to just like an eerie vibe and atmospheres and visuals. I mean, I did make a little bit of a joke earlier in our early tease going from the Hello Kitty image straight to that that one that was playing right there. Wow. I mean, it really is. It's a it's a striking, striking image, and this trailer is absolutely filled with them. Jeff, where did you wind up landing on Hereditary? I really liked Hereditary. Okay. I thought it went mm. off the rails a little towards the end. Okay. That, that prevented it from being like a great movie, but it was very good and okay. very effective. And do you think that Midsummer looks like it's going to keep the Ari Aster hype train going? Yeah, I'm, I'm excited about this, even though I, I don't love some of like the comps, like you know you've heard The Wicker Man or even mm. um, Apostle, uh, the yeah. Dan Stevens mm. movie that was on Netflix last fall. Um, I'm not loving the comps, but but the cast uh, is, is exciting. Jack Rayner, Florence yes. Pugh, Will, Will Poulter. Florence Pugh is great. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to that. I I, I love how colorful uh, the marketing campaign has been so far. I thought this trailer really kind of popped, and and I'm eager to to sort of see... You know some of the secrets that this movie holds. You know, which I think I know a little bit more than the average person. Um, but uh, I, yeah, I I think that Ari Aster has some really messed up surprises up. His there sleeve. is no doubt in my mind we're getting that. I mean, Marquita, <laughs> you've seen Hereditary, right? Yes. So you could probably already at least semi imagine how off the rails this thing is going to go. Yeah, I not only saw Hereditary, I made I had the bright idea like maybe a week or so ago to um, also watch it. I woke up early and I was like, I want to watch a horror movie. And I watched Hereditary and I was on like caffeine for the rest of the day. Um, but yeah, with this, I really like the chilling angle that this goes through because like uh, think about it when it's your first time going to some sort of festival it's your first time to Burning Man your first time to Coachella to anything where you hear the hype that other people say about it be like oh we're really gonna go to this thing oh it's gonna be great you'll love it it only happens you know this time and you're gonna go with us and it's gonna be safe and everything and it's like that's what this feels like it's also reminding me of Fire Festival Fire right festival. now maybe it's because I had watched the Hulu one back when it came out and just <laughs> the other day I finally watched the Netflix documentary so this trailer gets queued up and i'm like is this like a spin on fire festival i'm telling you oh the avian water story (laughs) yeah that's that's a disaster this looks like it's going to be a pretty epic disaster too though for the folks that are involved in it at least i know well it only happens once every 90 years i think they said in the trailer so it's 
Yeah, it's got just enough of that chilling note into it with um, with normal world, yeah. but yet fish out of water type of a thing where it's you get the feeling that as the lead character in this, you would see something that would be very off to you. But you're like, oh, no, wait, well, I don't know if that's off. I'll say for a little bit longer. I like these kinds of movies, though, where it's like a competition to see who mm-hmm. is going to get to survive um, because it's rarely the person who you think it is. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I I have faith in Ari in uh, Ari Aster. Ari or Ari? Ari Aster. Ari. I think Ari. It's Ari. Ari Aster. Ari Aster. Yeah. It's, a, it's, 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 a, it's a tongue. It doesn't sound uh, right. Ari Aster. Um, but and I, I like that that they stuck to their guns with the title too. Midsummer because a lot of people yeah. are like, oh, what what is that? Is this like a Shakespeare movie? No, it is decidedly. It doesn't surprise not. me that they stuck with that. I mean, this is another A twenty four release here, mm-hmm. and they are definitely not shy about doing things that are different and stylish and I think it's a brand that served them well thus far so they might as well keep going with it. Yeah, I mean I absolutely loved the Florida project. I mean uh, my family you know my family's Florida you know Orlando, Florida and watching that it was it was so beautiful so beautifully done. I mean I really want to watch um, The Strange Thing About the Johnsons which is um, Ari Oster's uh, oh, yeah, the short thesis. Film. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I haven't I haven't gotten a hold of that yet. That's so. really messy. I've heard about that. Yeah it's oh it's it deals with some serious issues but it's like i'm interested it's only about half an hour long i know i gotta i gotta get a hold of it i want to watch that didn't uh didn't he also do those profile pieces was that him also the short films or am i thinking of a different director now i know there was one with rachel brosnahan in it no I don't know. I don't know. If it doesn't ring a bell with you, I was probably wrong on that. But we're going to see this movie when it comes out in August. And it's going to be a good I summer for wait. horror movies, Perry. It really will. It's, it really it's a will good be. 2019, I think, for horror. And we're actually going to mm-hmm. get into it right mm-hmm. now because as a little bonus segment today, we wanted to play around with a new discussion topic, which is basically looking forward to the month ahead. And basically looking at the big blockbuster releases and and saying you know of the bunch here which one is the weakest which one would you not want to see if you had to take this group of films that i'm going to list right now and knock one of them off the list you can't see it at all so perry that is so unfair isn't it i don't even (laughs) like these games i don't like playing these games myself but i do like highlighting a month's worth of movies to come and there's going to be a lot of things to choose from both in april but also then throughout the rest of the summer. So it is a worthwhile preview to do right now, and we're going to kick it off by weighing Pet Cemetery, Shazam, Hellboy, Avengers Endgame, and The Curse of La Llorona. Jeff, if you knocked one off the list, which would it be? This and is why? so easy for me, okay? I before before the, the Captain Marvel screening last night, I went up to Roka and just started like complaining about how bad I think this movie looks. Because I think it looks like sub Clash of the Titans, Wrath of the Titans, and that would be Hellboy. Hellboy looks so bad. There's no way I'm even going to see this movie. I saw the first two Hellboy movies that Guillermo did with Ron Perlman. I thought they were okay. Okay. I didn't think they were very good. I'm not a big fan, but I didn't think they were bad movies. There was a lot of creativity and imagination in them. This movie looks like an unholy abomination of terrible CGI. I just, I, I can't even, like, my, my head can't even comprehend what I saw in this last trailer and, and who they think this movie's for. 
Yeah, this might have been the one. I was like watching all that CG. This might be the one on my list, too, that I'm knocking off. And it's not necessarily because I have zero faith in Hellboy. Yes, if I'm weighing it against the trailers I've seen from these other movies, I don't think that one looks as good as the others. But... I do have a lot of faith in Neil Marshall. It it would be such a surprise to me if Neil Marshall, of all directors, made like a major stinker. So he's giving me some hope. But also, mm-hmm. looking at the competition that we just laid out here, I just think that the Curse of La Llorona, Pet Cemetery, Shazam, and Avengers Endgame are just on a different level as far as hype goes. I mean, when you compare the level that they are on compared to where I have Hellboy right now, there is just such a vast amount of space in between that it was pretty much a no-brainer for me. Marquia, where'd you land with this one? Okay, so I did a process of elimination with this. All right, so looking at the five that we have, um, Endgame is a definite, so that's just taken out of the equation to begin with. And then you have, uh, for a super Superheroes, well, superhero esque. You have a uh, Shazam and um, Hellboy butting up against each other, with Pet Cemetery and uh, La Yorona butting up against each other. Um, so with that, Shazam's definitely in because, of course, it looks epic. I'm very interested in that, and I wonder how they're going to do the whole if they're going to do the sharing of power with the Foster family type of thing, like they do in the comics. I wonder if that's going to exist in the movies. So that's definitely in uh, Pet Cemetery's in because uh, it's Pet Cemetery and it mm-hmm. looks amazing. So it's definitely in. So for me, it came down to uh, La Yorona and Hellboy. So with Hellboy, before this last trailer, um, it would have been Hellboy out. After seeing this last trailer, I think that they did the right beats that they need to do for what Hellboy is, what Hellboy has been to us uh, cinematically, at least, where it's just like brash, bold. Yes, it's always had CGI and makeup effects. That's just how it lived. But a little bit of comedy mixed in with like this epic scale, because he's he's like this demonic badass that has been raised by flawed humans and pop culture. I mean, that is a tightrope. It is. And they they walk it in that trailer. I mean, he's riding a freaking dragon. There is no way I'm not going to a movie to see like, uh, you know, this big horn, you know, you know, spear of fire on a dragon. I'm that person. I'm seeing that movie. So unfortunately, uh, La Llorona has to go. I know it's James Wan. Mm. I know it's beautiful, but I don't have children, so I don't have to worry about this, uh, the weeping mother coming after them. So because of that, that's the one that goes for me. Another director here that I have my fingers crossed for is Michael Chaves, who directed The Curse of La Llorona. So I'm, I'm hoping that one winds up catching on big time, because... I think that one does have a chance of really surprising people and and mm-hmm. probably earning a pretty penny at the box office but you're you're kind of like in line with me. Pet Cemetery is my jam. Yeah, I love that original just... movie. I love the source material. So as far as the horror movies go, <laughs> Pet Cemetery is a major priority for me, but then again, so is La Llorona and then after that, there's a lot throughout the summer, as we've already pointed out. If we have to mm-hmm. spin this question on its head, which one do you guys anticipate either liking the most, really catching on more? Is anyone going to be, I mean, I guess we'd have to take Avengers Endgame out of this question, yeah. but do you anticipate any of these other movies kind of being a little bit of a surprise hit or way higher than they're already being projected? Uh, I mean, Curse of La Llorona, uh, Llorona. I, I, guys, I can't pronounce it. I need a lesson. Just, Roka needs to help me throw like, my R's. You say it like an American, La Llorona. 
My Lorona. Um... I, I think that that movie is going to do well. A lot of you know those uh, the films that are like that uh, seem to perform pretty well, especially uh, compared to their budget. I think Pet Cemetery could absolutely pop. Yeah. Um, you know the, those directors, I, I have faith in them. I've liked what I've seen for, uh, of the marketing so far, and, and again, Paramount seems to uh, do a good job keeping the budget down on on their horror movies. So I just you know no better than to bet against horror at this stage. It's true. It's true. I think La Llorona is a good bet, but. Between them, I think I would go Pet Cemetery in terms of being the bigger box office smash just because of, I mean, I, not that Stephen King was ever not super hot in the industry, but particularly mm-hmm. with the It wave, I think that there's just a lot of eyes on that one. And also, I mean, as silly as it sounds, the pet angle, that'll immediately spark a connection with so many people out there. So I have a feeling that's going to have a really big wide draw. The one that I'm most worried about from a box office perspective is Hellboy. I just have a feeling that if the reviews are not super hot, that one is going to come and go in a flash, especially within a crowded summer. Yeah, well, I mean, adrenaline junkies like me will uh, <laughs> go to see it. We'll see if it's uh, any good. But it's like, yeah, I, I, but I do agree with what you're saying with uh, Pet Cemetery because, I mean, think about just how it goes. Uh, well, canon wise, you get this really cute, awesome cat, you know, family cat, and then all hell breaks loose after that. So it's like, oh who doesn't enjoy that? And then, yes, with um, Chapter Two coming out this year, there's no reason to not think there's going to be like a really strong Stephen King wave. Oh. So my yeah. my most anticipated of uh, 2019 as far as horror goes carries me like pretty much through the year and I freaking love it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, before we move on to your live Twitter questions, I've got some shows to tell you about. It is the mainstay lineup tomorrow. You have a brand new episode of Collider Live coming your way in addition to a new episode of Heroes. And then, of course, we're right back at this desk, 4 p.m. PT for a brand new episode of Collider Movie Talk. All right, we got a lot of Twitter questions to hit. This first one I've got here for you guys is from Secret Fire Pub, who asks, in honor of Captain Marvel, what character embodies the values and strengths that you seek to emulate? What a thoughtful question. Wow. Like in in the Captain Marvel, like from the Captain Marvel I'm pretty sure that they mean it from, from a broader standpoint. Okay, like as, as in like you could within, choose Captain Marvel or any any. Oh well, other I mean, like within within Captain Marvel, like the movie itself, I would choose uh, Maria Rambo. I mean, um, played by Lashana Lynch. Uh, the way that that character is portrayed, like you not only have, um, and no spoilers for anything, obviously, um, but the way that character is portrayed, like not only do you have uh, an Air Force pilot um, and everything that that entailed with being uh, a woman of color as an Air Force pilot in 1995, uh, you have that. She's dealing with grief um, and uh, being a single mother and just everything with that. But it's like um, having the humility and having just like the sense of humor that she has, like within that, it's like, yes, that character most definitely. I think within Captain Marvel, one of the things that spoke to me most about Carol Danvers in particular, something that they've shown in the trailer, so this isn't a spoiler, mm-hmm. it's the idea of how they focus on like her getting knocked down and getting back, getting up. back up. I feel like that's kind of a mentality and a message that anyone will benefit from hearing over and over. But yeah. branching out to other things... Mm. 
I remember heavily leaning on the movie Brooklyn and Saoirse Ronan's character because I had seen that movie right when I was planning to move here and I was terrified to move away from home and my family. So just looking at like what she did in terms of, you know, finding love and building a life for yeah, herself in another country. Ago. How long I know. have you been out here, Perry? Um, It'll be three years in April. Oh, my goodness. Three That's years right. in You're April. more of a New York gal. Huh? Yeah. Okay. okay. Three years still feels like a long time. I was sure I was going to come here, try it for a year, get super scared, and then go back to New York and be done with it and say, oh, it's okay, you tried, but I'm still here. I celebrate 13 years in June. It's my really? bar mitzvah year in L.A. Um, wow. My answer to this question will be your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, Peter Parker. Yeah, I mean, he, he's got everything you could want in a hero. He's got a, a good heart, uh, a good sense of humor. He's not like Captain America, who's a little boring. Yeah, that's right. Um, so, yeah, I, I like Spider-Man, who, you know, defends the people he loves and the neighborhood he grew up in. That's a good call. I want to throw in one more because we were talking about Inside Out earlier. Earlier, and mm-hmm. if I could combine the two, it would be sadness and joy. Because I love the journey in that movie where joy has to understand kind of the value of sadness and why all emotions are valuable inside one person, even though some feel better than another. So I think I would add that in too. Yeah. Uh, well, branching out from uh, Captain Marvel, um, Nausicaa of Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind, a uh, Miyazaki movie. I think most Damn. definitely that character. Yeah. Well, she's. Uh, she's a princess trapped between two worlds, and she's just trying to help everything get along. And she does this; she does a number of sacrifices in that movie, um, where the world has to respond to her stepping up. I don't want to give too much away because it is it is a really great journey to take. It's one of my favorite um, animated mm-hmm. movies. So yeah, Nausicaa, Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind. This isn't a Twitter question, but now I have to ask it. Jeff, did you have a bar mitzvah theme? We, yeah. were t- we were randomly talking about this the other day, and I revealed my bot mitzvah theme. Yeah, no, mine uh, was candy, because my, my dad was in the candy business. So each table oh, at the yeah, bar mitzvah was a different kind of candy. candy but there was a lot of basketball stuff going on there. Of course, of course. Yeah. <laughs> I was I was Perry's Plaza. What was each, each table was a different store at the mall. <laughs> How awful <laughs> is that? That's adorable. Is it really? Which it's table like, did you sit at? Probably Hot. Auntie Anne's pretzels. <laughs> That's why I, think I that like that. That was Perry. probably my favorite one of the Was there like bunch. a Hot Topic table and did everybody look like Hot Topic people? I don't remember there being a Hot Topic table. There was definitely a, there was definitely Auntie Anne's. There was definitely uh, Gizmos and Gadgets. You remember that store where like when you were a little, it had like little no. like tchotchke type stuff, like almost was like it, sharper image. Was it also but with, like, called Spencer's Gifts? <laughs> no, it was definitely called Gizmos and Gadgets. And it, it had like all these little things and you would go in and you would be a kid and there would just be like no touching signs everywhere so obviously we would go in and we would pick everything up until we got yelled at no all right i was living life on the edge as a kid what can i say all right this next question here is from t mill 24 who asks now that perry has visited the dinosaur log from jurassic park what are everyone's bucket list movie set tourist destinations personally i want to visit tunisia and get me some blue milk because who wouldn't where are you visiting? I Jeez. would love to have a long, leisurely lunch at the uh, restaurant booth that uh, Pumpkin and Honey Bunny sit in, in in Pulp Fiction. Good call. Yeah, that would be my jam. Wow, I've never considered this question ever in life. This is nice, nice question. Uh, my first thought was, um, oh, God, what was it called? The movie... 
Leonardo DiCaprio, was it The Island? The one where Moby played he, porcelain was the major theme for it. Uh, in any case, so the whole concept of the movie was that um, you had to boat out to a certain point and then you had to like scuba dive in, like snorkel in, and then you were in like this uh, this really cool island. Um, yeah, I would do that, like get away from it all. And wherever that island is, go there. I feel like I need to find another Jurassic Park shooting location so that I can have another thing to add to the bucket list because taking a picture with a dead log made me so happy. Made me probably too happy. All right, we got another question here. This one is from J. Scott For Real, who asks, with renewed interest in the Twilight Zone due to Jordan Peele's upcoming revival, which episodes from the original series would make for the best feature film adaptations? Oh boy, that's a big question. That's a huge question. Man. <laughs> I mean, yeah. to, to serve man is the one that, that always comes to mind for me. Okay. Man. And then that makes me think of uh, Tales from the Hood with how they did, like, um, they did specific movies, like, already. I like hmm. Tales from the Hood, yeah. I don't know. What's the one with the masks, like the, 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 like the pig masks? Do you remember that one? I don't think I remember. Yeah, I mean, that one. I don't, Who what, is, in that what is, one? The, what is I mean, this viewer expecting? We're going to remember all the Twilight Zone episodes. I mean, I'm remembering a lot of the, you know, the twists, the specific moments. Like, oh, his glasses are broken. There was time now, you know, we for him to read all the just books. Just talking about a Twilight Zone episode recently on Movie Talk, and now I like can't get to it in my mind, and it's driving me nuts. I'm going to have to look up yeah, this. Yeah, I don't, I don't know yeah. that, we're, that I'm the best panelist, at least, uh, all for right, this question. All right. I want to do one of the space-themed ones, then. I would say. All right. Let's go with who? who's next here. All right. The Freddy Sure writes, Hey, Collider, what is one of your favorite movies that everybody absolutely dislikes but you think deserves a reboot or sequel? So many reboot or sequel questions. What what is this a movie that people dislike? Let's that... let's pare it down to two versions of this question. Yeah. First, what's one movie that everybody out there dislikes that you guys really like? No. Um, oh, <laughs> uh, this is this is ridiculous. I I still uh, I don't I haven't watched it in a while, but I remember liking it a lot. The Big Hit. Do you remember that? What is that? Oh, the big Vivica hit? Fox and Mark Wahlberg. Oh. The um, Busta Busta Busta. There it is. It's a <laughs> I've re- never seen this. Don't bother watching oh, okay. it. But but <laughs> when I saw it, I remember really liking it because it was so ridiculous. I'm I'm sure that if I rewatched it now, I would be like, oh my god, what? But hey, if it's on Prime somewhere and y'all want to give that a go. But yeah, it's it's uh, it basically has to do with like um, hitmen. There's some break dancing involved. It's a ridiculous movie. But are, are we advocating for a reboot, a remake of well, this? Or yeah. no, that was, no, not don't reboot. You don't. That. You don't necessarily have to. We could play that game after we get past a movie that you really like that nobody else likes. I, really, I mean, I don't know about really like. I've but I've got two I'll, that I know. Are I will say this much: movies. I thought the Happy Time Murders got dumped on unfairly last year. No, I had no. fun with it. Maybe it's because I was plied with a lot of sugar and candy during that screening. But that was not the worst movie of the year or worthy of a Razzie. Highly disagree on that one. I would have given it all the Razzies. It was my worst of the year. Um, <laughs> but some people would say this about the two movies I'm about to mention right now. Mm. One of the worst movies I've ever seen that I've also oddly fallen in love with for all the wrong reasons yeah. is uh, Winter's Tale. 
Did oh, you ever God. see that? No, I the definitely didn't. The directed movie, and I no. felt awful because it was so personal and important to him. But oh my, it's just like like the ultimate like fantasy romance cheese, and there's just such crazy dialogue that no human being would ever actually utter. <laughs> my favorite part. All right, a light spoiler for Winter's Tale. My favorite part in this entire movie is so Russell Crowe. He's the bad guy. And he's trying to find this one lady. And this lady has red hair. So at one point in the movie, Russell Crowe's character, like, rips someone's face off and takes the blood and finger paints what this lady looks like. And it looks like a child's finger painting. And he gives it to one of his henchmen. And the henchman goes. And he's, like, looking at the painting. And he sees her. That's her. It's the most absurd thing I've ever seen. Oh, my God. And I kind of love it. <laughs> like, I love sitting down with a glass of wine and my friends and watching that movie. Co-starring Will Smith. Yeah, well, no, there we go. Because he can play anything. Full Will Smith, Colin Farrell. There's a lot of big people in that. But I don't know if I necessarily want a reboot or a sequel. I mean, yeah. actually, one way to think about it from the reboot perspective is something maybe that isn't a great movie that is worth another try. Because I do think we see that fairly often like the first movie that comes to mind with that is something like uh in time with um amanda seyfried and justin timberlake i thought that oh, was a yeah. really cool Where's concept like, that, mm-hmm. that and i think the beginning time is, is pretty good but mm-hmm. then it didn't really do it for me yeah that was not a good movie yeah i think there's probably a number of sci-fi movies that we could if we you know had some time to like sit down and be like oh yeah we should definitely remake this one <laughs> but the right way yeah there's probably a long, long list of those. Yeah. All right, here's a non-movie question for you guys from Maybe Possibly. I know it's not a movie, but thought of the Game of Thrones trailer. Um, what'd you guys think of it? And when Oh, when will Collider Game of Thrones coverage start? I wish I could answer that question for you, but we will be ready for when the show comes back. I can <laughs> promise you that. Um, what'd you guys think of the trailer? Did you watch it? Oh. No, I didn't. I don't care about Game Priorities. of Thrones and won't be watching the final Why season. Why don't you care about Game of Thrones? I'm not a fantasy guy. I, oh. I've watched a few episodes of Game of Thrones. I think it was last year or something like that because, you know, my my roommate would be watching it on a Sunday night. So I, I'd sit there on the couch, but it's not for me. I, I just and I'm smart enough to to recognize that, that, to know this is clearly not for me. I do not care. Well, when I first got into it, so watching season one, I was very lukewarm on it until episode six of season one and then something happens in that episode and if you ever do decide to jump in i don't want to spoil it for you but something just happens where all of a sudden kind of everything came together and i got a little obsessive with the characters and the story like i got super into it all of a sudden in that moment yeah and that's when it hooked me it is a very it's a character based it really is you have to really care about them but you have to invest the time too i mean i understand if it's not everybody's uh, cup of tea with it but it's like basically Basically, you find like five characters that you super respond with. Like, you know, if you're an Arya or uh, <laughs> if you just want King of the White Walkers to just, you know, take over it all, um, which I have friends because we do fantasy drafts of, yeah, Game of Thrones. I can't wait for it to come back around. So, yeah, it's it's a it's a time and heart commitment. It's been a long time between um, eighth and ninth for this. So. I'm feeling kind of like a jilted lover when it comes to uh, Game of Thrones. Uh, it's I'm really looking forward to when it comes here, but I'm just kind of keeping it to the back of my mind because 
I keep on feeling like they're going to push back the date or something. No, I know they're not going to, but it's like my heart already hurts too much. So I'm just kind of like, yeah, this sounds like a really great thing. I'm glad when it comes around, when it comes around, if it comes around, it's coming around soon. Yes. Yes. Um, As the only one who did watch the trailer, I will direct you direct you to the trailer reaction that I did with John Roca this morning. But just tell you briefly here, it's it's a trailer that doesn't necessarily have a whole lot of dialogue or dig into story details. It's more about atmosphere and tone. And with such an epic conclusion coming our way, I feel like that was the way to go. And it's something about the way the trailer was constructed and how all the characters were strung together that it was just like immediately, even though it's been such a long wait since the last season immediately that trailer just sucked me back into that world and it feels like i'm not going to have skipped a beat jumping into the new season which really excites me all right um i'm curious to get your thoughts on this guys because we talked about it a lot yesterday on movie talk and it's still a big topic of discussion this question comes from elizabeth j91 who asks With Spielberg bad-talking Netflix and the release of The Irishman, will Netflix Netflix intrigue more directors like Scorsese? So I think what she's getting at is with all the back and forth between Spielberg and Netflix, is that going to help or hurt Netflix getting more big directors along the lines of, let's say, someone like a Scorsese? I don't think it's going to have any impact whatsoever. I don't think people are taking or not taking jobs due to what Steven Spielberg thinks about you know, award eligibility. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that guys like Scorsese, like Greengrass, like uh, the Zack Snyder thing is Netflix, isn't it? Army of the Dead? I think is it is. It? I think it is. I can, um, do- I can double check that. So, mm-hmm. j- j- and like, I mean, Michael Bay, you know, like, just to see more and more of these kind of A-list directors do Netflix movies, that is what is going to make other A-list filmmakers comfortable. It is Netflix. Yeah, when, when they mm-hmm. see you know Netflix taking care of these other filmmakers who they consider to be in their league. I guess I just consider uh, like a Zack Snyder in a different area than, let's say, a Spielberg. So I look at this conversation, and I don't necessarily think there are directors out that out there that are going to say, oh, because, you know, whatever's happening right now could change the ability to make a movie for Netflix and have it nominated for an Academy Award. I don't think that's where the thought process is, but more so with the backing of Spielberg. Like, I'm assuming Spielberg does have, like, a supportive contingent around him. But I think it's it's way too late to stem the tide on this. I mean, um, Netflix has done this the right way. They've played by the rules, you know, with having the limited releases in theaters. Mm -hmm. You know, it was what? You have that, that one week theatrical release New York and LA and they did that they played by those rules so trying to do this extra gatekeeping of four weeks that doesn't help anything I mean yes it is in response to um, Netflix we know that it's in in response to that Roma so on and so forth Um, but what it really does is that it cuts out these filmmakers that are not going to be able to make that happen those four weeks they can make that one week happen but not the four so if anything it kind of taints you a bit towards Spielberg it's like I think you've forgotten what hands. hungry tastes like, Spielberg. Mm-hmm. You know, other people know. You're totally, you're totally right. He's completely out of out of touch because he doesn't have to worry about distribution. He knows, mm-hmm. you know, Steven Spielberg's name on a movie is going to get a distribution. How many movies that have been nominated in the last ten years wouldn't have been nominated because they didn't play in theaters for four weeks? If they only did a one week or two, uh, two week qualifying run, whatever it is. I mean, you know, Spielberg's argument. I, I get what he's saying, and it is coming from a, a well intentioned place of. 
preserving the, the sanctity of the theatrical experience, but he's way off base here. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's that's pretty much where I I landed yesterday. I understand uh, mm-hmm. I understand the idea and the desire to preserve the theatrical experience, but I don't necessarily think it's a he's right, she's wrong, blah blah blah, like black and white situation. Rather, we need to come to a compromise to better suit the changing landscape overall. Right. And I, I see what you're saying where Zack Snyder is not, you know, on Scorsese's level, so to speak, but Greengrass could be. Mm-hmm. Uh, Noah Baumbach could be. Yeah. You know, he had a movie last year. His next movie coming up with Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson. Mm-hmm. That's going to Netflix. So uh, yeah. there, there are plenty of prestige filmmakers out there making movies for the streaming service. And yeah. a lot of it is because, you know, Netflix does seem to give its filmmakers more creative freedom for better or worse. Yeah. Yeah. And then think about it when you come from doing... Um, uh, well, being part of a bigger universe where you have to fit into a vision that fits into that bigger universe and then getting close to that same budget with a large audience. And they're saying, guess what? You do your vision. Yeah, I can see a lot of uh, bigger names going towards that. Well, there is no doubt we are going to be talking about this topic quite a bit in the coming weeks and then probably well thereafter. But that's it for today. That's all the time we have for you guys. A huge thank you to everybody who sent in Twitter questions today. It was a fun conversation. Jeff, Marquia, thank you so much for being here. Marquia, wherever, mm-hmm. where can everybody find you on the Internet? Uh, sure, you can find me. I'm at Marquia McCarty. That's uh, Twitter and Instagram. Uh, if you have DC Universe, check me out on uh, DC. Alien, that's Monday through Friday. And Jeff? I'm at the Insnider, but really you should you should just follow her. I was trying you don't to, need to be there for everybody. Um, thank you to Adam in the booth. I just like had a brain fart. Like, should I say my Twitter handle? Did you just make it awkward? I don't know. Pete Nemiroff. <laughs> All right, we're done. We're out of here. Throw it to the wide to say goodbye. Tell everybody you know about Collider Movie Talk on the YouTube channel and in co- podcast form as well. We are going to be back tomorrow, 4 p.m. PT, live for a brand new episode. Stay little chico, pit bull, Mr. 305, better said Mr. Worldwide, and I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, From Negative to Positive, brought to you by my friends over at State Farm. I believe that to have success, you got to play the game, so that the game doesn't play you. You know, the biggest risk you take is not taking one. It's very important that you make sure that you make the most out of your money, especially when it comes to insurance. State Farm offers surprisingly great rates. They have great agents standing by helping you personalize your coverage. All this is backed up by award-winning, easy-to-use technology. It's a great price with an even greater service. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Does anybody want breakfast? Guys, let's go. I'm leaving for McDonald's in five seconds. Why do you start with that? The Breakfast Stampede Meal. It's only at McDonald's, where there's a meal for every morning. And nothing says morning like a classic sausage McMuffin with egg. Right now, get this all-time favorite for just 2 bucks on the one 2 3 menu. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.